Thanks for tuning in to the Boiler Express podcast. Join us each week as we dive into all things Purdue sports. You'll hear in-depth analysis of our previous and upcoming games, as well as interviews with players and people involved in the Purdue sports fandom. Be sure to check us out on Twitter and YouTube for our live stream shows as well. But, uh, no, I was talking about the, the Ohio State basketball game uh, on the intro. I said I always have to prepare myself because it's so loud. Uh, I think that was, like, one of the loudest games recorded in Mackey. So I always have to, like, brace myself for that part of the intro. But welcome back, everybody, to the to the uh, Boiler Express podcast. Uh, I'm your host, uh, as always, the Ultimate Boiler, and we've got the normal crew here. We've got Dylan, Russ, Frank, Chris, uh, everybody. And we have a guest with us tonight. Uh, super excited to get to talk to Kyle Charters. Kyle, thank you for joining the uh, episode tonight. Hey, happy to do so. Uh, always a good evening when you can talk about the number one ranked Purdue Boilermakers. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, we got a lot to talk about. We're going to talk, obviously, about basketball. Um, we're also going to get to know Kyle as well uh, a little bit. So I thought I'd start off with just a, a question for you, Kyle, just for anybody that is listening that may or may not kind of know you and, and uh, your affiliation, you know, in the Purdue community and kind of what you do. Uh, kind of give us a rundown on that. Well, currently I, I freelance uh, for, for Saturday tradition covering the Big Ten in Purdue. Uh, a little bit of Indiana as well, but we won't talk about that too much. Uh, <laughs> also, I'm the play-by-play voice for Purdue baseball, and I've done that. I think this will be my 18th season coming up here yeah. in just a couple of weeks, so pretty excited uh, for that. That's been a lot of fun over the years. Uh, still do GoldenBlack.com's podcast. I worked at Golden Black for 15, 14 years, 14, 15 years from 2004. Basically, from Kyle Orton's fumble – uh, it was, I think, my first full-time week at uh, yeah. time. <laughs> it was there uh, until the summer of 18, uh, so the, through the first year of the Jeff Brom era. And then uh, you know, I hosted a radio show for a while. Unfortunately, uh, COVID uh, killed us there on, on 1017 The Hammer, hosted the morning show with Jared Jesselitis, and then my brother, uh, joined there for a few months uh, before before COVID, uh, I guess, almost three years and what, three years and about six weeks. Yeah. Uh, at least yeah. uh, we're short of that a little bit here from when we got knocked off the air. So, um, And then still occasionally fill in for the, the Hammers afternoon show, do their pregame football show. And uh, gosh, I'm probably forgetting a couple other things, but that's, uh, that's sort of the quick, the quick, quick, yeah. my, I guess my, my full-time job, my main job these days, I'm a real estate agent, which my mom did here okay. for like 30 years. So very cool. we ventured into that as the full-time gig and now just doing the media stuff sort of part-time. Great. So are you, uh, cause I know the basketball team has recently kind of, um, struck an NIL deal with a local real estate company. Are you a part of that uh, company? I, I, that they I, that is that is not my real estate uh, company, but I'm I'm more than happy okay. to uh, to continue to work with uh, Purdue Athletics and uh, and athletes and, and everybody else because I've I've done that a little bit here over the last few years, and I'm hope that I'll continue to do that. Yeah. But no, I'm not part of that group. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, cool. Well, uh, that was uh, pretty interesting to, to get to hear about that. You've been around Purdue and uh, the athletics programs for quite a while now. So, um, you know, what got you into, um, you know, kind of diving into that role of uh, sports media um, and, and 
um, just to kind of tail, uh, add to that question, you know, what would be one piece of advice that you would give somebody who wants to get into sports media? Well, when I was a sophomore at Purdue uh, in 1998, uh, right? 1998, yeah. Um, 80, 90, 98, 99. Um, I decided at the urging of a friend to go to the Exponent call out, went to the Exponent, met Brian Newbert, uh, who you guys I'm sure know. Uh, <laughs> works for a long time at Golden Black and covered men's basketball, covers them now, and a little bit of football recruiting, all that. Most people who are watching this probably know who Brian is. Um, Read a thing or two. Quick, quickly, uh, quickly realized Brian needed a little bit of help there on the, the sports desk, so I got to cover women's basketball uh, in what turned out to be a, a pretty good season uh, for uh, Purdue that year. Of course, they won the national championship. Covered them a couple years later when wow. they finished runner-up. Uh, so I guess that sort of whet my appetite a little bit for, for sport. I mean, I, I was a sports fan, but I never really thought I'd be a writer. I thought I'd be a, a radio guy. Um, and I did do that, did radio news in Marion, Indiana, uh, from 2001 to 2004. Mm -hmm. I came back and rejoined Brian and Alan Karpik and the others at Golden Black in, in 2004. And, uh, even though I didn't think writing was going to be my career, it was for a long time. <laughs> and so, yeah. Yeah, women's basketball still when I came back to Golden Black. Women's basketball and football were my main beats. I think I ended up writing about one men's basketball story a year. Uh, <laughs> just whenever Brian needed me, I, I jumped in there. And so that's sort of what my duties were. You know, back then we had the, the, the weekly magazine at Golden Black, which mm -hmm. I sort of had a, a, a lead role in the production of it every week, um, which was a a real challenge to put that thing together every week, especially in the football season. It took a lot, yeah, a lot of time. Uh, we spent a lot of hours on Saturday and Sunday putting that thing together. Um, it became a little bit of a different animal once, you know, that went away and, and we did, you know, more internet focused stuff, um, which is, you know, a different kind of challenge, but not quite eating up all your weekends, but it was a great, you know, great experience. I'm glad I sort of chose that path for the first 20 years of my career and happy to be doing something a little bit different, but still, uh, you know, still able to, uh, to do the sports stuff, baseball and yeah, for Saturday tradition and just stay, just stay enough involved. It was great when I had the radio show, that was a perfect mix, uh, doing the morning show and then having the rest of the day to, you know, to do the, the day job. Awesome. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, that's really cool. Uh, just to hear about, uh, I feel like you've just had your hand in a lot of different places, uh, in and around Purdue. So it's pretty neat to hear about all those. You know, as a, a student, you know, student too, during Drew Brees era, Drew and I are basically the same age. So it was a good, uh, pretty, pretty good athletics. I mean, the men's team, uh, was really good in that area with Gene Katie, obviously. Uh, and the women's team made two title, final fours and runner up and, and a, you know, a championship. And then, you know, obviously with Joe Tiller and Drew Brees and that era and going to those bowl games and covering those bowl games. And I, I went to the Rose Bowl as a fan uh, with my family and that was a good time. And it was just a great time to be a, to be a student and also to be a, you know, a student reporter at the Exponent was, was a lot of fun. Yeah. I had no lack of uh, things to write about. That's for no, sure. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a good, it was a good time. Uh, I don't know that there are a lot of, you know, I don't know that there are a lot of eras when you talk about all three of those major sports that, that match that, um, you know, we've had spots of course here and there, and, you know, maybe this 
qualifies as one of those spots uh, as well, or maybe we're leading into it a little bit. We'll see what direction football heads, but um, you know, certainly men's basketball is where it needs to be. I really, I love Katie Gerald's, um, you know, and what we've seen from Ryan Walters here over the first couple of months of his tenure seems to be, you know, uh, things pointed in the right direction after a, a solid tenure from Jeff Brom. So, you know, hopefully we'll be headed back toward that sort of era again. Yeah, absolutely. I actually uh, barely missed the Drew Brees era just by uh, a little bit there. So whenever I was younger, uh, my grandpa, he had uh, football season tickets since 85. Um, and so uh, his whole thing was he he got he got he would get two tickets every year and to every game and he would take the grandkids to each game. And so I was the youngest grandkid at the time. So I was always at the bottom of the totem pole. Uh, and so there was just too many grandkids um, that still wanted to go to the games at that point. So I just missed the Drewbury's era, but I started in the Kyle Orton era. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was kind of my introduction to Purdue football. But um, yeah, does, um, does anybody else have a, a question for Kyle or kind of anything to follow up that, on that with? Yeah, I mean, uh, what's your, I mean, you've covered dang near everything. Uh, <laughs> Pick, can you pick one or two favorite moments that you've covered in person or? Oh man, I don't know. There's, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot. I mean, the national, the, the, the women's basketball run to the national championship and that, that team and to be, you know, sort of a, you know, a cub reporter at that time, you know, I was, I was just starting uh, really Brian just sort of handed me the keys uh, to, to women's basketball coverage. And I, I sort of took it over, but I mean, that was, that was just that the personalities involved with, you know, Stephanie White and Katie Douglas and um, Yukari Figs and, you know, the storylines behind the scenes too with, mm-hmm. you know, Carolyn Peck being a lame duck coach and, and all of that. I mean, it just that, – that was great. I mean, from a football perspective, uh, you know, I was, I was the managing editor at the Exponent during the Rose Bowl year, so I did not wow. – directly cover Purdue the Rose Bowl year, but I, I got to be sort of more of a, a fan for a, for a season. So my friends and I dressed in these ridiculous costumes all year and, and went to the games. And uh, we actually were featured uh, when Purdue had beat Indiana. We were – there was a show on TV at that time called College Game Night, I think it was called, on ESPN. And we were on, uh, you know, on there and a cover of the Indy Star and the JNC. And there you go. We were on the center spread of, you know, gold and black before I worked there and all that. So, you know, that was fun from a fan perspective, nice. just to be able to do that. And for one season there, not to be a, you know, a, a, a uh, you know, not to be a objective observer as a, as a jerk it all away. Yeah. But I mean, any, any, you know, any Drew Brees game, I mean, you know, the Outback Bowl was a great experience. Uh, unfortunately, Purdue lost that game, but just everything involved in that and, uh, you know, Drew Brees and, getting the lead against Georgia and up, up until halftime, it was a great day. Uh, <laughs> sort of went, sort of went sideways uh, on them then, but, um, mm-hmm. but no, I mean, there's, you know, it's a little bit weird as a, uh, when it's a full-time job, it's, it's hard sometimes to live the moment, I think a little bit, cause you're doing yeah. a job, you know yeah. what I mean? I don't know if that's relatable or not, but, it is the truth. I mean, you're still, you know, Purdue win, lose, draw, whatever. What I have to do afterward doesn't change, you know. So, so it's a little bit different. So the moments that I've sort of been able to observe and and you know, 
be a fan, if that's the right way to put it, have been sort of uh, stood out to me a little bit more at times. And baseball, I love baseball. Mm-hmm. And being able to do baseball for 18 years, um, travel with the team. I don't go to every road trip, but I generally do about 60 to 70% of the games. Rob Blackman does some of the games. Okay. My brother fills in and does a few games here or there. So, But, I mean, it's, I just love the road trips. I love being on the road with the team. It keeps me – even though the gray hair gets a little bit more every day, it seems like, uh, you know, it keeps me a little bit young. So that I, I comes with being a Purdue fan. Yeah. Part of it, yeah, just being, yeah. yeah just the but stress yeah. of it, just, you know, the gray hairs start popping. That's true. I've got a couple of them here now. I feel like every, uh, ever since 2019, it's just uh, more and more um, pop up. But um, awesome. Well, uh, uh, really cool just to kind of hear more about your experiences and just get to know you uh, a little bit more and, and the experiences you've gotten to have with baseball, with, you know, everything you've kind of been a part of. Um, so that's pretty neat. But um, so I kind of have a question for everybody. Um, you know, at the beginning of this year with basketball, uh, there were a lot of mixed feelings about the, the way this team would perform. Some, you know, Chris is the eternal optimist uh, of this group. So it, uh, it could be raining hellfire and he would be like, oh, it's going to be OK, guys, we'll, we'll figure it out. You know, it's going to be, um, you know, everything's cool. Uh, and so he was, you know, thinking this team could be even better than last year's. And I uh, am kind of the um, I don't know what the right, right word is. I get scared pretty easily. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> and so I was just like, well, you know, there's a lot of unproven. There's a lot of, un, you know, we just haven't seen a lot yet. We haven't seen Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer on a, on a uh, college basketball court and, and how that's going to translate. So kind of have to wait and see. Um, but if you guys could, uh, and we'll just kind of go round table, we'll start with you, Kyle. But if we, uh, if you guys could each give three words to describe how you thought the season was going to go at the beginning of the year, give those. <laughs> Uh, just three three words that describe out me uh, sweet sixteen trip. I don't I don't know. Uh, you know, just a season, I guess. Yeah. What about you, Chris? I don't know. <laughs> and I it? think that's literally <laughs> what it's just, it's just I don't know. You know. Um, yeah. Very much. Yeah, Frank. Frank. Three words is tough. Um, I'm gonna sound like Tarzan here, but uh, don't skip beat. <laughs> but I, I, I said it on here. I, I don't. I don't. I didn't think we were gonna skip a beat, um, just because we've you know we've seen it so many times that we're losing X, Y, and Z. So how are we gonna be? And then we just you know we have a you know the the year we went to the Elite Eight was supposed to be a down year, you know. So it just we've heard we we, we it's, a, it's a cycle every year. You know we lose this player, that player, these three players. You know how are we gonna recover? And we're always back. So. I, uh, I, I had expectations this season. Yeah, I would say mine's kind of the opposite there. Uh, not that I thought, you know, the, the sky was falling, but just no expectations. Fun, I guess, like just no expectations. So I wasn't going to be really disappointed if, you know, we didn't make it to the Sweet 16 this year. Um, and if things went better than that, be awesome. So I was just kind of – I was just chilling. I was just happy with whatever was, you know, going to happen. So – what about you, Dylan? Well, thanks for making me think of words because we all know I'm really good at those. Uh, death, taxes, and painter. That's what I'll go with. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Always trust paint. <laughs> that's, uh, that's another one. Didn't even mean that one, but look at me. Nice. Nice. Um, I would have gone with um, trial by fire. Okay. 
Um, you know, we knew that we had some uh, variables. How would Edie do with more minutes? How will Lawyer and uh, Smith do coming out of the gate as freshmen in the Big Ten? How will Trey Kaufman Wren come back from his, you know, redshirt year? So I, I just knew it was going to be, you know, learn as learn as you go because we had the Phil Knight Invitational early in the season. So yeah, I just knew it was going to be trial by fire. So I, I knew we were going to do pretty early um, what we had for the season. Yeah, and you know, you brought up uh, Edie there at the beginning of. Um... Uh, kind of explaining your trial by fire there. And this week you've been telling us that you have a little spiel about uh, Zach Eady that you've been keeping under wraps. So uh, let's hear it, man. What's uh, what's what's going on there? So, um, you know, I've I've been, you know, if Chris is the optimist, I've been trying to push live in the moment because, you know, even listening to other Purdue podcasts, everybody's like, well, just wait till March. Are we going to change March expectations? Are we actually going to make it any further? You know, is Painter going to finally get a Final Four or whatever? And it's like we've done historical thing after historical thing this year that maybe has never been done or last time it was done was in the 70s or the 80s. And so in, enjoy what you're seeing and the greatness you're seeing right now as it happens uh, because Edie might go down as one of the best two or three players to play for Painter and play for Purdue in, in general. Mm -hmm. He Right now he's already 36th in school history with point in points with uh, 1,184. Uh, he's only 40 points behind 35th, but, you know, he played, what, sparingly his freshman year. He couldn't stop elbowing dudes in the head. Uh, last year, he got to start, but, you know, how often – I was looking at last year's Michigan game we played there. Edie got – how many fouls in the first minute were then Travion come off the off the bench before he even got started? So, you know, for him to be already moving up the ranks and this is his first year in full minutes, uh, he should finish this year – around 25th in school history in school points and in, in points scored. And that's three years. Okay. We assume he's going to come back for his senior year, which if he just averages 20 points to the end of the season and through next year, and we, as long as we don't go one and done in both tournaments or either of the tournaments, um, he, he'll be about 25th at the end of this year. He'll be second at the end of next year in school points, school history. Now a fun fact that I kind of deep dove and was like thinking about and was like, Hey, you know, there's this little thing that happened a few years back called COVID, right? Well, Edie's freshman year was 2020 to 2021. And the NCAA um, eligibility waiver for another year of eligibility covers winter athletes for 2020 and 2021. Uh -huh. So if he decides, hey, I've made good NL NIL money, the NBA is not a game for somebody like me. He could come back for not just next year, but the year after that. I didn't even think about that. So, wild. That would be nuts. And then, and like I said, then you're probably talking about building a statue of Zach Eadie <laughs> out in front of Mac Erie. That'd be a very – So enjoy statue. what you're seeing. Enjoy this breakout. Enjoy the talk. Enjoy Julia Edie being the team mom because it's it could be a once-in-a-lifetime thing for us to witness. Yeah, so, so. Um, I love that. I think all of those were really interesting points. Um, so you really think that uh, – do you feel like it's open shut that Edie's going to come back next year? Uh, personally, I do. Okay. I, I would, I would take the the over on it, if as you say. Like, I would, I would put, I would put money on him coming back. Just he makes good nil money. You know, we've seen some of the previous big men that have his build. Now he is more agile. You know, we've talked about him being a better version of Haas, even better version of Hammonds. But the NBA game still isn't quite built for somebody like him because if he played drop coverage, you know, those NBA guards are they hit from everywhere if they're open. You know, Painter talks about forcing 
the opposing guards into those floaters and those mid ranges that they aren't used to taking. And that's why drop coverage works in our favors favor as percentage wise, but an NBA guard would eat that up. So I, I don't know what kind of feedback he'll get um, for going to the NBA, but I think right now, I think it's a pretty good lock that he comes back next year. Yeah. For so sure. for sure. Now the, the COVID year, you know, who knows? So yeah. for sure going, probably going to be like, Oh, I'm going to test the waters and then, you know, Oh yeah. And you'll come back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know because, um, I think you could also look at it like Carson Edwards. Um, you know, he had the ability to come back for another year, but his stock in the draft was probably not going to get any higher than it was after the incredible run he had in March Madness. So is that the same thing for Edie where if he like if he's more into the idea of just being on an NBA team rather than, um, you know, con- continuing to play at Purdue and uh, and make some good money on the uh, on the NIL side of things, you know, um, it's just hard to know what a person uh, is thinking. I think we can all have perspectives, but I don't know. I'd like to say that I played in the NBA, even if it was for a season. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who who wouldn't? And, and Russ, I, I, I agree with you that, you know, offensively, I think he could he could hang in the NBA, but it's on the defensive side that he would kind of be a liability because uh, last I heard, I mean, the, I remember seeing an interview with like a whole bunch of NBA guards and they were saying like they take offense to teams playing drop coverage against them. You know, it's like, oh, you're going to play drop coverage on me. I'm going to shoot this three now. And, and so, um, you know, his ability to switch, um, we haven't really seen it. So I, I, don't, I don't know if that's something that's in his arsenal or not. But um, I also heard Jeff Goodman say that Zach Eady wasn't eligible for NIL because he's from Canada. So I'm not really sure with that. Like, I mean, I don't necessarily trust everything he says either. So um, <laughs> that's a little weird. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I honestly don't know if he comes back. I think there is something. I, I can't claim to know any of the details, but I think there is something to that. Okay. Um, but I, I don't know what the limitations are on him. But I, I had heard that outside of Goodman as well. Okay. Well, I trust you a lot more than him. So I think <laughs> he'd be getting something because, I mean, he's. I mean, they're making those Zach Eady hockey jerseys, so he's yeah. got to be – yeah. yeah, they must be. They must. It's possible they found some sort of, uh, you know, there are it's sort of the Wild West here, as we know. Yeah. Uh, so it's very possible that, you know, Boilermaker Alliance or whoever, um, you know, Purdue NIL, whoever's doing some of those jerseys and and other things. You know, I think he's in a is he in a Purdue commercial. I know Mason Gillis is doing a lot of things. I'm not sure if he's in a Purdue commercial, but seems like they're doing some, you know, he's doing something. So I'm not sure if that money's making it to him or or what, but it seems like there's something there. Yeah. Absolutely. Paying for Mama Edie's Airbnb. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, so um, sorry. Did you go ahead? It's, it's also possible that Goodman and I have just heard the same wrong uh, rumor. So, so I've actually got a website pulled up. While you guys talk, I'm going to look at it. Well, that's the like that. That's the that's the interesting thing that NIL is bringing now to the, you know, to the college game. When you look at a guy like Oscar Sheway from Kentucky, you know, he was going to be a second round pick, uh, ended up, you know, being for him, he can make more money by staying in college. And, you know, now he's, you know, came back for his senior year. So, um, you know, I think we're going to see a little bit more of that, especially at the schools who can afford, uh, to, to do things like that. But, um, I don't know. Yeah, I'll be I'll be really interested to see, you know, what he decides to do. I I I guarantee he's gonna you know declare and test the waters and you know and get some feedback. But yeah, and just like man, Russ, now the idea that he can be here for two more years, I 
man, come on. I'm just sitting. Oh my gosh. So Did I think have- I found the reason. Uh, so it has to do with F1 student visas. Those visas prohibit students from working off campus, working off campus, except in rare authorized exceptions, such as participating in internships or work in their field of study. In these cases, for international student athletes, the school is legally obligated to terminate their visa should they have been making money off their name, image, and likeness. Good job by the. But did he transition? You know, for him to play at IMG in Florida, for him to make that transition, maybe he already got some kind of established dual citizenship or something, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. know. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, <laughs> we've had some games. Yeah, we've had some games. Uh, here's sorry, a, here's a, a question that I don't know the answer to, but I'll, I'll pose it anyway. Who's the last national player of the year to come back? Uh, Shibway. Shibway last year, yeah. Yep. It's an, it's yeah. an easy question then. But yeah, it, uh, it just strikes me that it, to me, uh, to me, if he if he's the best player, you you strike why the iron's hot, like Carson Edwards did. Yeah, yeah, it's also true. It'll be it's it's a decision I don't want to have to make. I'll put it that. Way. <laughs> I mean, at least it's a win win. You know, either you go to the NBA or you stay here and hope and you know be on a potentially. Even more insane, insane team next year. Um, And yeah, so I I feel like it's a win-win. So, you know, but uh, like you said, Chris, we played some basketball here recently. Uh, We've recaptured the number one ranking uh, in the polls for the second time this year and third time in the last two years, which is just absolutely insane. So kudos to Matt Painter and everything that he's doing and building. And uh, it's just an awesome, you know, we've been saying, I think every week now for, since I can remember uh, in this podcast, but it's just a great time to be a Boilermaker. I feel like that's becoming a new moniker or saying around the Purdue community, um, which is great because uh, it's not always been positive like that. So it's great to, to see it kind of the tides turning a little bit. Um, but yeah, so first we played Minnesota, I believe. I know I'm great with timelines. You guys know I'm great with timelines, but I believe we played Minnesota first um, and handled that game pretty well. Um Somebody want to take? Oh, just a little bit. We handled it well, but um, I thought the defensive effort was pretty good in that game. And uh, uh, just overall, it was a dominating performance. What well, we gave up 12 points, tying a pretty record for points in the first half or whatever. So that's pretty good. But Kyle, what do you think about it? Yeah, I, I don't know that Minnesota's very good. Uh, I, that's, I, there's also that caveat. Yeah. <laughs> And I think there was probably only about 4,000 people in the stands. Um, I don't think the barn is it's sad because the barn is such a great place to watch a game and the history there. And it's just sort of cool. But man, there's just no fans. Yeah. And that team has a long, it has some talent, but um, I, I don't know. I don't know. They don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know that. I, I think it'll be interesting to see with the, with the NIL and transfer portal, whether, teams continue to do what Minnesota and Illinois and maybe Ohio state to a certain extent are doing every year and going to get five or six, seven yeah. uh, guys um, and, and a, on a basketball team and, and expect to have the kind of success that you want to have. I just don't know that that's really sustainable for Minnesota. Obviously it's in a little different spot than Illinois or Ohio state. Um, you got a really young coach, but yeah, it's not a very good team. Um, and, and Purdue just sort of hammered them. I mean, yeah. just physically, 
just hammered them. I don't think they were really anticipating that out of Purdue. And on that same kind of note, um, the getting six or seven guys out of the portal, I mean, that's killer for continuity. I mean, yeah. playing with each other. And, you know, you look at these guys you know, on Purdue where, you know, Lawyer and Smith know what each other is going to do without having to communicate it most of the time. So I think that makes it really difficult for a team to try and gel together when they've played for three months. I, I think the most talented team in the Big Ten, and I don't think it's close, in my opinion, is Illinois. And they just – I mean, they're, they're a little bit better now. But early in the year, they were they went through a stretch. They were terrible. Could yeah. not play basketball together. But you look at that group, and I they, they got some they got some guys out there. They got that really? one kid from Baylor, right? Yeah. Meyer yeah. and yeah, yeah Meyer, uh, Meyer and Danger, both from Baylor. Oh yeah, that's yeah. right. And those guys yeah. can all play. I mean, if you were going to play a pickup game, I, I don't think you'd want to take those guys on. But <laughs> you know, playing a Big Ten season where you've got to have a functional offense. And, and play as a unit on defense. I think it's really hard to do what those guys are doing. We're seeing it at Ohio State right now. I mean, that Ohio State team, I'd rank that Ohio State team. Wouldn't you put them top five or six talent-wise yeah. in the Big Ten? Yeah, sensible and suing yeah. and all those guys, yeah. But it's hard to bring – you know, they've got four freshmen, I think, who are in the rotation. They've got three transfers, you know. Yeah. Just yeah. as suing and, and uh, the big guy are about the only, you know, two familiar – faces out there mm-hmm. so yeah i just think it's really really difficult and um it'll be interesting to see whether that for those coaches who are doing that whether it's really sustainable you know yeah. there might be instances where they have really good teams because it works right i mean it just might work if it had worked at illinois this year they'd be top 10 easy but as of right now it's not working no and you can tell it's just a, a scheme standpoint right. they're just everybody's kind of off in their own little world a little bit. Nobody's really on yeah. the same page with doing anything. And I think it's it's all three of those teams, really, because they've all been kind of, I don't want to say dysfunctional, but yeah. Can you guys hear me now? Okay. Um, so uh, my boss <laughs> is, um, he actually is an Illinois grad, and I guess he's on the message boards a lot. And he said that, you know, with Sky Clark um, kind of taking a leap of absence from the program or um, completely leaving, he wasn't totally sure about that. He's heard both uh, things. Even though I think it's been mostly reported that he's just left the program, um, but said that that with him leaving a lot has kind of um, changed a little bit. Like the team chemistry um, said that that's changed a lot with his departure. <laughs> so I don't know if that plays a hand in that either, but that's just and of course, it's a message board. So you can't you got to take that with a pinch of salt. But yeah, no. Uh, so back to the the Minnesota game. Did you guys see the pictures that uh, Purdue uh, basketball posted? It was like the the four shots from the game, and there's the one of like Caleb first, like cheering, like he's like yeah, and then you see the Minnesota coach behind him, like giving, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> giving yeah. him like a stinker. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was, thought yeah. that was great. Um, but yeah, I mean, not a whole lot to say about Minnesota. We, we, we did what we should have done, uh, did a great job of it. Uh, does anybody else have any thoughts about Minnesota, Minnesota though, before we move on to, uh, Maryland? I just felt from an, from an effort standpoint on defense. I mean, it was there like all night, uh, you know, no matter what the lead was, those guys were, were bringing it. The communication was great, uh, on defense. Uh, I, I mean, it just seemed like guys were, guys were sw- switching. Like they, no one was getting lost. I mean, everything was, was executed to perfection. 
Really wanted to hold him under 10 points in the first half. I'm really not sure why. Um, like that, that last too. like banked in shot and the you know, Fletcher fouled him from behind and didn't even really need to need to happen. But I, I was so disappointed. It's like, ah, I want to hold him under 10. I don't know why, you know, it was, it was clear that we were the more talented team and we're going to, you know, probably run away with the win at that point. But um, yeah, I mean, especially at the end, you know, we put in the, the walk-ons and the, they started running the score up a little bit. It was like, no, no, stop. Yeah. Just, I, <laughs> I, I, uh, I like, I, I like defense in basketball, but there is a, the, the, the execution and the effort I thought were, uh, uh, on another level. And I, I think we saw it, uh, against Maryland too, personally. Yeah. The first 10 minutes of the Maryland game, Purdue was locked in, uh, looked pretty unstoppable. Um, but Frank, you would probably have a pretty good analysis of this or an idea on, on this, but what, um, you know, uh, in terms of actually, like what actually happened out there that caused that shift? What did, what did Maryland change in their, their game plan that caused, you know, that, uh, 15, 17 point lead to kind of dwindle down to, as, as the game went on. I think in the second half, um, like Maryland really had us confused defensively because they, um, they really started running a lot of ghost screens. I saw and like, I haven't, I haven't rewatched the game. Uh, to get that like more analytical view because I, I watch it the first time and I can't have that because I'm so emotionally invested that I'm not able to watch that analytical eye. But I just noticed at the beginning of the second half, like guys were, you know, we were, we were having guys confused about who was switching where on these, on these ghost screens. And uh, I mean, it's, it happens pretty frequently that I watch another team and I think that like, man, this is a really simple offense compared to what Purdue runs. And I didn't see that from Maryland. Like Maryland ran a really complex offense and, you know, defensively, we, we didn't know what we were going to get into. Every single time we came down the floor, uh, Maryland was either, you know, pressing or they were man-to-man or they were zone. And I think the inconsistency there had us a little bit confused. I don't feel like schematically the zone really caused us a whole lot of issues. We just missed, missed some open shots. Like Edie missed two at the rim, first missed one at the rim. You know, Morton missed a wide open three. Um, so it made the zone look more effective against us than it was, but – um, I just think there were just some unforced turnovers and uh, uh, some of the pressure, I think, by Maryland's and some questionable um, officiating as well uh, just just led to a kind of a messy second half, I think. Um, you know, the uh, questionable the, officiating the Big Ten, I'm so yeah. surprised. Well, and I thought, you know, especially in the second half, they were really pressuring. I mean, one time Braden was knocked off his feet, you know, when they were pressuring him and somehow made the pass, got the ball across the, you know, the, the timeline, but. Um, I just uh, I, I feel like the inconsistency there on on defense was a, a a problem for us. You know, we didn't know we were what we were going to get into. So um, uh, I think that's something that you know that we can clean up. But I, also fatigue seemed to be a problem for Purdue as well, especially in the second half. Like the guys guys looked tired, and I know Painter addressed that in the post game presser. But um, glad to have a few days off and some time you know to work on a few things because uh, that. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Michigan has played zone uh, about uh, like one out of five possessions this season. So I'll be curious to see uh, if they try that again against us. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, I totally agree with your assessment about the the defense there, um, especially, uh, you know, in the second half too. I remember one play in particular, um, uh, Maryland's pressure. And I think maybe what was different about it. And this is just, again, just uh, uh, me looking at it with the naked eye and not, you know, knowing actually, what they you know what it would be called that they were doing but you know when when purdue's tending to break a zone 
they usually pass it out wide to one of the guards and then there's somebody always at the you know the uh the the midcourt logo waiting for that pass that entry pass to to push it over the line or the half court line and it seemed like maryland was blocking that it seemed like they had a guy there ready for that you know that next pass so um i think that definitely caused some issues um i, I remember one in play in particular where fletcher uh, turned backwards to kind of look for somebody else to pass to in the hole. You could just hear Mac Mackie like audibly gasp, I'm like, no, go the other way. Um, yeah. So you posted that graphic about the Purdue in the, in the zone. And I was like, Frank, no, you're giving the enemy, uh, you're giving the enemy the, the answer, but, um, but yeah, so. we, we've actually been good against the zone this season uh, overall. And that's why that, you know, we average 0.33 points, Per possession against Mar- uh, Maryland zone this past weekend, and you know on the season we're at about point nine points uh, per possession. Uh, you know, so we're okay. we've actually been really good. Uh, so that was uh, why that was kind of an outlier to to see that. Yeah. Kyle, what do you think yeah. about the game? I think they just missed shots. <laughs> it's like I couldn't. I'd love to see a uh, shot chart from the second half. Can anyone recall a jump shot that was made by either team, but certainly by by Purdue? I. I just cannot recall anyone making a jump shot in the second half of that game. And, you know, got Matt Painter talked a little bit about this in the post game, just the, the start of the second half. They missed a layup, they had a bad turnover, uh, took a bad three. And it was like all of a sudden, um, you know, Maryland's right back in. And I think if they, I don't remember who missed the layup, somebody missed right at the, right at the rim. That um, uh, was uh, Morton, I think. Morton, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and, you know, if that goes down, you know, maybe they get off to a better start in the second half and it doesn't tighten up quite as bad as it did. But, um, yeah, the zone, for whatever reason, the switching up of the defenses gave them issues. The press did. I, you know, Braden Smith was was uh, tired. I've heard some speculation that maybe he wasn't feeling the best this last week. Um, but I thought Matt Painter, if that's the case, or even if he was just fatigued, I thought Painter did a good job of getting David Jenkins in on defense and letting – Smith rest uh, on defense and then trying to get him back in, you know, offensively whenever he could. I thought it was, it was, it was a well-managed game mm-hmm. by a team that clearly looked like it was for whatever reason was, was a little gassed at, at the end. And I mean, they played what that was the third game in, games in nine days. Yeah. So it was a well needed wow. uh, Monday off uh, before the, the Michigan game. Uh, this week, to, to, to say the least, I think. And I noticed some possessions on uh, when Maryland was on defense, they would run a zone for like 15 seconds and then switch it to a man for the last 10. I was like, what is going on here? Like, <laughs> it's like a cover two shell with man underneath. It was just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, I think, and kind of like we talked about before the show started. Um, like we all like these Minnesota style games where we come out and whoop them by thirty or whatever. But I you can breathe during yeah. the game. <laughs> but I like I I'm becoming more of a fan of these style of games because it kind of shows you about the grit. You know, you look into it. The the guys are tired. There might be some illnesses. Shots aren't falling. Uh, Pressing the zone is kind of giving us an issue, but we still found a way to win. And I think that's stuff that you can carry into March into those grinder sweet 16 games or even round of 32 games that are just, just beat you to death. You know, what was it last year against Texas was kind of a meat grinder game. Uh, yeah. So I think that'll be, uh, 
I think we'll reap the rewards as as uh, much as my cardiologist is going to hate it. We we might feel differently about that Maryland game in a, in a few weeks too because I think the Terps are pretty talented. They have no bench. Uh, they only have yeah. about six guys, but they play five of their next seven at home, where they're nine and one. Um, and the one of the two road games is at Minnesota. So you know if they go five and two, one of the home games is Purdue. Um, yeah. But that'll be a. I think that'll be a tough game. Uh, it, it has been a tough game for Purdue going over there. Yeah, they always uh, fight. Yeah. So you know, five and the next seven at home for Maryland. You know, in three weeks we might feel like that was a pretty. I mean, it was a big win, but we might feel yeah. a little bit even differently about it uh, then because I think Maryland could, as long as as long as the lack of depth doesn't really bite them. They've had some games yeah. this year where they just cannot score. Yeah. Um, because they get into that bench and they just don't have anybody, which we saw, you know, a couple of days ago. They just don't have anybody to bring in. Yeah, yeah. And um, oh, what was I going to say? Yeah, you you made the point that it's been a, a tough game with Maryland. You know, the last few times we've played, I and mean, I think the last three combined, the last three games Purdue's played against Maryland combined, the games have been won by a total of six points. So um, it's always a grinded out game, uh, especially at Maryland. Yeah. Um, I had another point to uh, bring up, but I can't recall it. So, oh, Damon, if uh, I can, uh, if I can pull this up real quick, uh, Kyle, I got, I got curious and decided to, to check here. Um, so, what we're, what we're looking at is the shot chart here. Um, so, actually, all the blue dots are missed shots. This is the second half, and the red dots are made shots. Jeez. Uh, so, for anyone who's, who's watching or who's just listening, is not able to see video. Uh, their only red dots are right next to the basket. Uh, the blue dot, <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh! A whole bunch of so missed that's, shots. In the that's Purdue in the second half. Yeah. yeah, Purdue second half. Yep, and second half so only. So one, red dots are two, made shots. Three, four, and uh, blue dots are missed shots here. That's crazy. So is that only six made jumpers in the second half? Six made shots. Uh, that I don't six know. Because I don't know how how uh, constant. Oh, yeah, that's true. Right. Yeah, it is in there. But um, if I can, that's the easiest way to. Um, yeah. Yeah, so uh, yeah, but, didn't didn't really make any shots uh, away from the away from the rim as you uh, had alluded to. So there it is. I, I had to had to look it up all while the subject. Was <laughs> well, I'm glad my feel was correct because I was sitting there with a friend in one of the the corners, and I turned to him with a couple minutes left to go in the game. I'm like, when's the last? I, I I think I said when's the last time either team hit a jump shot. But I'm like, when's the last team time Purdue hit a jump shot in this game? Yeah, like, I couldn't, and well, must have been sometime in the first half. Yeah, crazy. <laughs> and I wonder if Painter just saw that and just started just trying to feed it down low and take it in, just to because yeah. I know they. I'm going to get on a soapbox if I bring up the ref, the officiating in this game. But, <laughs> um, I thought that it seemed like when they started calling like a bunch of multiple back to back fouls, it seemed like every possession was going low, was going low, like more concentrated than it was, say other games or even to start the game. So I don't know, maybe if. Painter just saw something. Maybe he saw that because it seemed like a lot of jump shots were falling short, like they're like they were just out of legs. And I wonder if Painter just saw that and was like, you know what, we're just going to go with the bread and butter and get all of our points in the paint or the foul line. Well, he said before he says he's he's all about layups, dunks, free throws, and three pointers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if we're not hitting threes, it's going to seem like we're not hitting a single jump shot. Right. 
That's yeah. a good point. Um, but to talk about Maryland's struggle, uh, just to touch on that real quick, I was looking up the box score from the game, and you were totally right about their, you know, their lack of depth from the bench. Um, they had seven points total come from the bench, and they're all from Martinez. Um, he was two for two from the line, uh, and then I think he hit a three-pointer. Yeah, so he had all the points from the bench. Um, and only other one person even attempted a shot from the bench, and that was Cornish. Um, but one thing I think Purdue excelled at that game is stopping Young. He only had 10 points, shot four of 18. So uh, I know Morton was probably a huge uh, proponent of that or, you know, reason for that. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, defense was, was, again, stellar. I was going to ask that question uh, for anyone who didn't know is who, who was guarding Jameer Young the majority of that game. Uh, so Ethan Morton, I guess. That, by the way. Yeah, it was Ethan Morton. <laughs> I just yeah. – I, I don't understand how people don't see how great of a defender he is. It just, just blows my mind. Yeah, it's – it's uh, I don't know. I think it's because we see a lot of stuff on Twitter from the casual fan base that doesn't really understand the the ins and outs of some of the things that – you know, they base everything off scoring. If guy's not hitting shots, but like when Painter says, if you're not hitting shots, do everything else right, you know, guard, rebound, pass the ball, do all that type of stuff. I think people just aren't as indulged in the program as six of us it's are. Like, it's like Painter said on his radio show this week, you know, you may not get the rebound, but if you box out your man, which allows someone else to get a rebound, like that will never be captured on a stat sheet. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and Ethan, Ethan Morton, you know, he has the second highest assist percentage on the team. Um, he does have a fairly high turnover percentage. That's just a recent thing, but – um, I mean, a, a player's worth is not associated with how many points they score. You know, he, 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 uh, I mean, Jameer Young is a guy who I think you had back to back 20 point games, if I'm not mistaken, 20 plus point games, um, you know, coming, coming into that game against us. I mean, he, we did a really good job on him. Let's see. He had, uh, 26, 20, and 30 were his previous three games, you know, coming. So, you know, locking him down and holding, yeah, him to, you know, four for 12 from two, two for two from three. So, you know, the six for 14 from the, I mean, that's, that's a great defensive effort. Um, you know, so normally he, you know, hits four or five more shots at least. So that's just, that's a testament to Ethan Morton and how, how good of a defender he is. If, if Ethan Morton is not on this team, Purdue is 15 and four. Because you're, you're probably losing the Maryland game. I mean, I know he struggled offensively down was Ohio State, right? He struggled offensively down the stretch of the Ohio State game, and he makes the you know one of the plays of the game right at the end. To, yeah. to, I mean, that, that game was lost. How many times do you? How many times do you win a game in regulation with less than thirty seconds to go? You're down by one, and you don't have the ball. <laughs> and it's Purdue won, uh, and a lot of it was because you know Morton makes a steal there. Um, you know, even though he struggled a little bit offensively in the last four minutes of that game, you know, it makes the play. So I just, yeah, without him out there. Now, that said, there's going to come a game where you want him to hit the shot. <laughs> you know, and it might be a big game. It might be next week. It might be Thursday night. It might be in the tournament. But, you know, he's at some point you're going to want him to hit that open three with a couple minutes to go that uh, that really could seal the game before the final seconds. I think he had a chance to do it against Maryland, right? I think he missed. Didn't he miss? Somebody missed. It. Yeah, it was a wing three, wasn't it? Yeah, I think yeah. a couple minutes left mm-hmm. where you thought yeah. if he would have hit it, you thought, okay, that's the game. But but I also feel like that he is like one shot. Like once one of them goes down, I feel like he's just going to skyrocket. Yeah. Like he's like the rest of the shooters on this team. I mean, what painters say that 
like all of the guys besides like 80 have shot 40% at some point in their career between high school and college. Like, so all of them know how to shoot. It's just some reason, like we're missing by half an inch. And a lot of Morton's shots, to be fair, I mean, oh my God, I feel like more than anything, if there was a statistic on this, I feel like more than anything, I see his shots go literally in the rim and then somehow move in reverse, bounce off the sides of the rim and then come out. I swear that's like 90% of those shots that he, uh, those threes that he takes, uh, um, you know, when I'm watching um, kind of how that looks uh, like it plays out. And then, you know, yeah, uh, on defense, he's, uh, or no, uh, he had a, a step back too in the Maryland game in the first half that I was like, oh my God, Ethan Morton's going to decimate these people. <laughs> you know, he's taking that step back three. I was like, anything is possible tonight. So he'll get figured out for sure. But so how do we feel about Michigan? I am scared. Oh, I'm terrified. <laughs> it's just a house yeah. of horrors. It's just. Yeah. This is the game last year that I feel like was a big turning point for this team uh, in last se last season. So I'm having a little PTSD from, to be honest with you. Uh, but you know, uh, I think this team is leaps and bounds different, and just for different reasons than last year's. So uh, I'm hopeful, but yeah, nervous as well. And I think we talked a little bit in our group chat, and I I tend to agree. Um, I think we see a Zach Eady like he played against last year against hunter this year um i think he's gonna kind of feel like he because i feel like out of all the big men in the league like hunter really doesn't get under his skin but it kind of kind of does and i think that Edie's just gonna be kind of like a man possessed thursday and just like really want to set the tone and kind of solidify his place amongst big men not just at purdue but across the country this year yeah Edie takes things personal i think a lot more than we realize <laughs> You know, he, you know, you listen to that journey when his mom's talking about him not playing basketball. He didn't play basketball out of pure stubbornness that he didn't want to do what everybody else told him to do. You know, so he's got <laughs> that hockey player edge and he's just got that stubbornness to him that he he definitely takes things personal. But, you know, Painter, we talked about in our thread about how Painter tells his players create a relationship with the refs. Don't get upset with them, except when you make mistakes, because you're going to see them throughout the year and throughout your career. And if you get on their bad side, it's not going to go well. So he's worked with Edie on, you know, keeping that inside. And he's talked about how he's actually a very, very competitive and fired up person. So, yeah, it's that's one of the big things I noticed watching last year's game at the Chrysler Center that, you know, Edie wasn't in the position he is this year where he's getting fed and fed and fed. You know, that was one of those games. He got a foul like 30 seconds in and was out of the game and Travion came in. Um, also, we've talked about how good of a start we've had in so many games this year. And we just got down in that game early, and we never really clawed back in. So I think those are the two crucial things. We've got to get Edie the ball early and often and get a good start there to be successful Thursday night, I think. Yeah, I agree. And I think Fletch needs to Fletch needs to go get going early uh, as well. I think he um, – when he's going early, when he hits that first, you know, first three or first uh, couple of them, um, I, I feel pretty good about the rest of the game. All thoughts? Okay. You know Chad Howard playing. Well, that's that's that was actually going to be uh, my point. Is uh, is 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 Jet Howard playing? Um, yeah. Which um, you know, Juwan Howard's been very um, quiet about it. Oh, Belichick. Uh, I think his official statement was that his uh, X-rays came back negative. Uh, he didn't say negative for what, 
Um, they were just <laughs> negative. So, uh, and, and then that his, his x-rays look good. The minus sign. Um, so like he, he's being very, uh, ambiguous about it, which to me says that maybe it's a little worse than what he's leading on. Who knows? But, um, he's officially questionable, I think for the game on Thursday. And, you know, they, they have a, a team that's just kind of banged up in general, you know, Buffkin's <laughs> playing through, he's nursing an injury right now. I mean, they, they did lose Jalen Llewellyn, I think for the entire season. Um, Doug, you know, Doug McDaniel's done a great job as a true freshman point guard, um, stepping up into that role. But, uh, you know, um, according to Synergy, Hunter Dickinson is the third best defender in the Big Ten. Um, you know, when you look at his, you know, fouls called on him for 40 minutes, I mean, his freshman year was four. Last season it was 3.4, and now he's down to 2.7. So he's done a really good job of, you know, learning to defend without fouling. Um, you know, I, I think this is a game where, you know, where we might see him him uh, guard Edie one-on-one the entire game. Um, you know, Edie has three inches and, you know, about 40 pounds on him. So we'll, we'll just, you know, see how that goes. But I, Russ, I think you're exactly right. You know, we got to get Edie going uh, really early, maybe get a couple, one or two fouls on Hunter Dickinson is going to be kind of the key because he's the, he's the matchup nightmare part about this game that scares me. It's his ability to step out in two threes and kind of getting Edie defending that pick and pop action is, is scary. Michigan has played the uh, the freshman backup center at the same time as Dickinson here recently too, which will be really interesting. We haven't seen teams go big against Purdue. I don't know if Michigan would actually do that, but uh, that would be something to watch for, certainly uh, late on Thursday night. And I think an aspect that uh, that we're not talking about is handling the moment. Sometimes I think the Chrysler Center gets on our team's heads a little bit because it gets raucous, a lot like the Breslin Center. You know, those students are close to the floor, it's hopping, it's pumping. And I think, uh, especially when Dickinson goes, it's all under Dickinson, um, <laughs> that, like, it really amps that crowd up and it seems like it gets in their head. So I'm going to be really – the person I'm looking forward to seeing the most and how he handles it is uh, Braden Smith, seeing if he can handle that moment and that kind of environment. Did really good against Michigan State. Now, let's see if we have it again against uh, against Michigan. Phenomenal job at Michigan State. The Breslin Center is always a tough place to play, but I, it felt like for a Monday game at 2 o'clock or 2.30, whenever it was, that place was yeah. nuts. That's probably the the toughest environment they've played in this year, right there up next to um, Penn State's home away from home. Uh yeah, him and especially Fletcher in that second half. The last 10 minutes of that Michigan State game, oh, my God. Fletcher was a man possessed. Um, so the moxie that, you know, not only the freshmen, but this entire team has shown all year is just fantastic. I mean, the only loss the entire year has been by a single point um, in a game that they weren't playing fantastic in and were down by 10 at one point in time. So, yeah, I, I, I'm i fired up. Hopefully it can be a, a good game that, uh, you know, we can handle pretty well. Um, but either way, uh, it's going to be a fun one to yep. watch. Yeah, I think it'll be a, it'll be a good time. And uh sure we will not have a lack of things to talk about. Now. The Chrysler Center always <laughs> makes me nervous. I don't know why. It's just same, same. Just, it's just like, that it's arena like the makes barn me for me. Like the yeah. barn, always, since Hummel's injury at the barn, yeah, I'm always scared to death to go up there. Ugh. <laughs> Anytime we play no Michigan easy... in football or basketball, I'm always nervous. There's no easy away Big Ten game. It just it well, yeah, exist. and and that's why I think the uh, uh, when we play 
close with teams in the Big Ten. I think that the floor of the Big Ten outside of Minnesota is a lot higher than it is in most of the other conferences. I mean, I think Lenardi's last bracketology had 11 teams in the uh, in the tournament for the Big Ten. I think oh, wow. the next closest was the Big 12 at eight and the SEC at six. So, I mean, you know, I just think that the – and it's like, you know, everybody, you know, um, who does the power rankings, they're basically like Purdue and then two through 14. Dealer's choice because it's just – you know, you see these rise and falls and peaks and valleys. And I think that has that should say a lot about Purdue's program right now, where everybody else is in a you know will go through two weeks of just playing like crap and losing. We went through two weeks, played like crap, and still found a way to win. Besides one, and, and Russ, I think you said that the gap between us and second place in the Big Ten right now is two games, uh, which is the mm-hmm. gap between also between second place and twelfth place, right? Uh, so, you know, it's just a, just a bloodbath, you know, outside of the, the, the top and the bottom right now. So, um, nothing short of a miracle. We only have one loss in the big 10. And I, I didn't realize what did painter say five years is that we haven't won in the Chrysler center in five years. I like, granted we've only okay. played there three times in those five years, but, um, Even more reason to be nervous. Anyway. Right. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate Thanks, that. Frank. Thanks for your big brain and your big stats and making me even more nervous, Frank. Well, to me, to me, that says that that we're due. You know, it's like it's like in a baseball game when a guy's you know zero for three. I think like, okay, well, he's due. He's gonna he's gonna get on base this time. You know, yeah. so that, that's how I'm thinking about it now. Yep. Obi. Yeah. So. Um, just to kind of uh, wrap things up here, and if anybody, we'll kind of do a, a last call. If anybody has any kind of last questions they want to ask, uh, whether it's uh, towards Kyle or just the the group himself, um, uh, the I have a, a last last question for all of us, and that is, you know, we talk, I talked about how you all felt at the beginning of the season. I want three words to describe how you think this season will end, and I want your honest opinion. So, uh, we'll start on the other side this time. Uh, and Russ, you are live on the air. Your three words, how Purdue's season will end. Who stays healthy? Okay. (laughs) Um, you know, that's, uh, you know, I I don't want to talk about it. I don't like talking about it because I don't, you know, I don't believe in jinxes, but, uh, I'm, you know, I'm not superstitious, but I'm a little stitious. Um, (laughs) and you know, we saw how, you know, Edie impacted the offense when he was out for one game against a low level opponent. Uh, so if, you know, now we've done a good job of keeping our big guys off the floor, not trying to take charges, not trying to go down. We talk about watching games at Minnesota with a lump in your throat. I, I almost halfway threw up when he had that and one alley-oop and it was like, don't fall off the court. Don't get hurt. What's going on? Like, so I, I, you know, if we stay healthy, you know, we saw what can happen in a tournament atmosphere against Duke and Gonzaga. So um, I think it's either who stays healthy or final four, baby. That's my three, three words. <laughs> Love it. Nice. All right, Frank. Frank. All about matchups. <laughs> it's like three no, and a half. So you guys are copping out. I don't like no, this. I mean, you just, guys are just, taking just the to easy elaborate way out. a little bit. You know, it, it's, it's just going to come down to, to, to seeding. And, and, and who we're matched up against. And there are some teams out there that, that scare me, uh, you know, in the tournament. I mean, I granted, once you get, you know, to the Sweet 16, there's a huge level of parity, usually uh, with, you know, a couple of exceptions. But, like, a team like Alabama scares me right now. You know, that's a, you know, the team that's 
playing extremely okay. fast and shooting really well from three and, you know, scoring within seven seconds of getting the ball. You know, that's what they, what they look to do. Uh, a team like Tennessee who is defending at an insane, you know, almost historic level and just pressures the ball so well. I mean, that's like that. We, we struggled against Maryland's pressure. We struggled against Nebraska's pressure. Um, you know, so it, it all just comes down to who we're, who we're matched up against. And, you know, for anyone who listened to the painter show and someone called in and asked about, you know, is the big 10 style of play, you know, uh, hindering the big 10's ability to do well in the tournament. And he kind of had an ambiguous answer, but, um, you know, I, 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 I agree with painter and that, you know, you, you throw the ball into Zach Eady, but, you know, depending on who we're, who are playing, you know, they, if, if there's a, a team who's really good at playing small, that could, that could hurt us. So, uh, all about matchups is what I'm going to go with. I like it. I'm going to go with really damn fun. Like I just, it's been fun so far and I think it's going to continue to be that way. And I think it's just going to be a lot of entertaining, uh, what next six or seven weeks or whatever it is. Nice. Nice. Uh, I'd say keep it rolling. Uh, the Big Ten's tough. There's no easy yeah. games in the Big Ten, like we said earlier. And um, I think, like Russ said, keep healthy, uh, but just really just keep rolling on what we're, we've built on so far, um, and what Painter's done so far, and you know, guys like Edie and and I don't know, man. You just gotta keep it rolling and one game at a time. And the Big Ten, in my opinion, is probably the toughest, uh, grittiest conference in, in college basketball. So it's all about just keeping it rolling, man. Okay, Kyle. Oh, I'll say run out of gas. Run out of gas, I guess, since I can only use the three words. Uh, question mark. I think you got to be a little wary of Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer being freshmen and how much you're putting on those two guys. I mean, I, I think it's a little bit cliche, uh, but there's probably some truth to it too, just the freshmen running out of gas uh, during their, their rookie years. And well, it happened to those two. I mean, we've been so impressed by their maturity and, you know, just the way they play and they don't play like freshmen, but, you know, they haven't been through a grind quite this long. Well, well, the start to show up here at the end of the season, I hope not. Uh, we've been surprised so much by those two guys, but I think it's definitely something we got to keep an eye on. I'd agree. And uh, I'm going to use a compound. I'm going to create a compound word for the, the last <laughs> word uh, in my sentence. Oh, and we're um, popping out. <laughs> no, I, I no. I said final four, baby. I didn't cop out. <laughs> no, you, your first answer was a cop out. Uh, no. Parade in God's country. God's country is one word. <laughs> yeah, Parade like in God's country. I'll let it pass. I, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited, man. I'm, I'm amped up. Just the, man it and and if it doesn't happen this year it doesn't happen it's you know it's fine and and twitter is going to be accessible for the next six months but uh man just so uh, just i don't know i've just been thinking about it a lot man and i'm just overall just really thankful for the the seasons we've been having um as a as a purdue sportsman because god they've been so fun i mean that's how I met all you guys was through the last, you know, couple of years, just, you know, uh, chatting through uh, Twitter and everything like that. Um, and that doesn't happen probably without the success of the program. So, man, just a, a great time to be a Boilermaker. Uh, I really just, man, I'm just here to have fun. So swinging for the fences, parade in God's country. 
Um, but with that being said, does anybody have any final questions? Anything, anybody at all? So I got one, one other little nugget that I was telling you that I was working on. So, and uh, Frank actually alluded to it when he was talking about when I brought up that we were two games up on second and it was two games between second and 12th because the rest of the conference is just beating up on each other and we've escaped, but we're also halfway through our Big Ten road games already with a two-game lead and with 12 games left in conference play. So I looked up and I was curious. Um, if you listen to the last couple of coaches show, um, Rob Blackman's nuggets at the end when he goes through history of Purdue basketball, the Big Ten got me inspired. And I, I thought, what's the biggest regular season champ margin in the Big Ten history? What do you guys think? Sorry, can you repeat that? What's the biggest regular season like standings margin of, of victory or margin of win in the regular season? Four games. Oh, I was to say three. So it's actually six. Holy crap. Oh, wow. So, um, and I, I hate to say who it was, but I know we've brought up the historic Indiana teams yeah. and some of the things we've done, but it was oh. Indiana in 74 and 75. They won by six. Um, it was the first season that we went to an 18-game conference schedule. So that, that kind of explains it opened up, but that was the only time it ever happened. No one's ever won by five games. Uh, Michigan State technically won by six games in 98-99. Um, OSU, Ohio State, finished three games back, but that was the year they had to have vacated a lot of games for that year and several other years. So technically, if you look at the record book, Michigan State won by six games that year. Um, four games has been done, uh, I think, like around six times. Um, that's actually Purdue's record. Um Purdue won the Big Ten by four games in 68 and 69, thanks to who's the star on that team? Hmm. Rick Mount. <laughs> yeah. 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 So um, the interesting thing, though, is we switched to 20 games in uh, – let's see where do I have it written down here. 20 games in 2018 and 2019. We transitioned to a 20-game conference schedule. Um, what do you think the record is since then, the short term, Ew. the biggest margin of victory? Yeah, two. Technically, it's negative half a game. <laughs> what? So um, it's been four seasons, and in three of the four seasons, there was a tie at the top of the standings. One of them was even a three-way tie. And then the only one where there wasn't a tie technically was the COVID year, where it was also the only time technically that the team that won the regular season championship won less games than the second-place team. Because yeah. Michigan played 17 conference games, and they were 14-3. and three. And Illinois was 16-4 and four in 20 games, but that was a slightly lower percentage. So Michigan got the regular season. That COVID final. year was such a – like between football and basketball. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah, so, you know, so six is the record. And, of course, it's a team that we'd like to either share or even knock off that record. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think this is the year that has that recipe, right? If we can separate ourselves and escape, like you said, the teams 2 through 12 are going to beat up on each other they're going to move up and down and they're going to end up racking up those losses. And if we can keep escaping, especially with a home heavy back half of the conference schedule, um, you know, I think we can see a pretty, pretty good dominant effort. The rest like of the, the chances. So, yeah. Probably have to win at Michigan and at Indiana. Yeah. 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 I think that'll be, those are definitely the two toughest, I think away games that we have left to, mess with but honestly it's the big 10 so all of them are going to be meat grinders i have one more question for uh kyle so you're obviously in the baseball world in my opinion purdue baseball has the best uniforms out of <laughs> any purdue team by country mile what's your favorite set for uh for purdue baseball 
Oh gosh. Uh, the, of the current ones, probably the, just the classic pinstripe yeah. is a nice, yeah. the white pinstripe. The Purdue looks so good. Yeah. yeah they're, they're, they're really nice. Yeah. Purdue has done a good job over the years. Of course they you switched to Nike probably what now seven in Mark Wazikowski's first year. So seven years ago. You got to wrestle um, before or something like that. Yeah. Um, and then I think majestic way back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, they, they're, they're pretty sharp. I like those, uh, those pinstripe lights are pretty nice. Oh yeah. The hats too. I wish I could find a place to buy the hats. I don't know if they sell those online or not, but I don't know. Some of them they do. Some of them they don't. If you ever got the hookup on hats, let me know. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, the last time I went down and, and swiped some hats from the equipment room was, uh, was the day that the the world came to an end three years ago? Uh, <laughs> so that, don't do that, that again. Day. So I won't. I'm Thanks, not Kyle. Grab any more hats. Uh, <laughs> Think about what you're asking for, Dylan. <laughs> I'm a seven and five eighth, just in case. <laughs> <laughs> Big old noggin on this guy. Uh, no, I went. That was a two, that Tuesday. I went down in the equipment room and and asked to grab a couple of hats for the uh, rest of the season. They were were scheduled to go to uh, Evansville that weekend and. Uh, it's crazy that, you know, I did an inter, I do a, uh, I guess the one thing I didn't mention, I do a big 10 baseball podcast because there's really not a whole lot of big 10, uh, baseball coverage. So my brother and I do a, a we do it at, we record it at the hammer and, uh, we started doing it when we had the morning show, but, uh, we still do it now. Um, but that morning I, I, we did our podcast. I talked to Rick Heller, uh, the Iowa baseball coach, uh, did something with, uh, with Greg Goff, well, what would, would have been Greg? Would have been was it Waz then? Who was it? Was it Goff at that point? No, it was Goff. Yeah, Goff's first season. Uh, did something with Greg Goff on that Tuesday, and, and, and it's crazy to, to look back. Nobody once mentioned the idea that the games two two days later wouldn't be played. I mean, I still remember watching the NBA games that night, and when uh, yeah. it was Utah and Sacramento, I think. Yeah, and they canceled them. Rudy Rudy Gobert touched everybody's record. They were about to tip off, and I think Biner came like running out frantically. It was like, stop, man. Just there's like a 20 or 30 minute long video on like that whole like 72 hours between that game leading up to like conference tournament games because that was the week of the conference tournaments basketball, and just that whole 72 hours. It's Kind of a trip to watch. I did a not that we want to go down this rabbit hole, but I did a I did a, on that the next day that Wednesday I went and did an interview with a Purdue professor that I was going to play back on the Thursday morning show, just a twelve minute interview about you know not touching stuff basically. Uh, if you're you know from a Purdue from a from a sports fan perspective, what can you do to you know protect yourself in a public setting or whatever you know? But by the time I did that interview, like at two o'clock on Wednesday. By the time the morning show started at 6 a.m. on Thursday, the the it had become obsolete. The interview had become obsolete. You couldn't use it because so much had changed in the the what the, the 18 hours between when I did the interview and the next morning that we just couldn't couldn't use it. Wow. It's just Jeez. things happen so fast. Great. We'll miss it. Wow. That's my hat story. So that's how I got my hats, and it happened uh, the last. <laughs> Last time I grabbed some new hats was uh, right before the world shut down. Well, respectfully, let's not do that again. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to duck and cover uh, if I ever see Dylan with a, a Purdue baseball hat on. But, <laughs> <laughs> pull out the rosary. Yeah. Uh, yep. I bought it, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Frank, do you have anything? 
Uh, just just one, you know, one, one quick question, and you, you touched on it a little bit, but how how different is it from just a casual fan perspective versus something you're covering and you're working? Like, are you able to just to take it in from an enjoyment standpoint, an entertainment standpoint, if you're if you're covering uh, a team or a, or a sporting event, or is it, is it how, how much of a, of a difference is there, and, and what's that like for you? Uh, there's definitely a difference. Uh, I think I, mean, I, I can only speak to it from my perspective. I think it's, you definitely are watching the game and enjoying the game. Um, and you know, so you get a feel for it. I mean, you feel, you still feel the energy of, of the, the moment. Um, but you also have a job to do. So, um, you know, so you're still, you know, win, win or lose, you still have to execute that job. So, you know, when the horn sounds, I still got to go interview people. And, you know, I think if you're covering a team, um, there's a natural inclination when you're covering a team to, to be closer to those players or whatever and want to see success for them. Um, but also you're a professional and, you you know, you know that the games are, are won and lost. I think that you you just don't. You know, having done that for 20 years or whatever and still doing it to a certain extent, you you uh, you don't get as high with the wins and you certainly don't get as low with the losses. I mean, you just – they just – you know, teams lose. <laughs> you know, teams lose. Teams – Purdue will lose again. The basketball team will lose again. It might be Thursday. Uh, but does it – the thing that I always – Purdue could lose Thursday. If they do, does it matter – like, you know, I mean, you know what I mean? They could still win the Big Ten. They could still win the Big Ten championship. And maybe they'll lose on Thursday and it'll be good for Purdue in the long run. Maybe they'll still – maybe they'll win the NCAA. You know, I think I think we get caught up sometimes in, in the individual moments and wins and losses when maybe, you know, we got to look at the big picture. And there's a reason we haven't had an undefeated college basketball team since 76. Yeah. No, yeah. And you know we get caught up in the we get rec- caught up in recruiting battles, right? Purdue lost Hunter Dickinson, and who did get? Right, Zach Eady. You know, I think if you trust if you trust the people, like if you trust Matt Painter, uh, then you know that if they don't get a guy, they're going to go get somebody else who is going to fit the system, who might be better. I mean, you look at the Nigel Pack deal, like Purdue didn't get him. Would that have worked? I, You know, it's arguable that that it worked out that Purdue didn't get him because the, David Jenkins has been the perfect guy and, and a credit to him. Uh, and I don't know him at all, just watching him on Twitter and watching him in games. Well, you got a guy who scored 1,800 points in his career mm-hmm. who is willing to come here and – play defense and run the point when he's not a point guard and just fit in. I mean, it's pretty remarkable that he has done that. I think telling of the whole team a little bit too. Now it's easier to have good team chemistry when you're winning. Uh, (laughs) You know, it just is, but Mm -hmm. I think telling too that, uh, you know, Painter went and got a guy when the first guy didn't work out. And the second guy, the guy that's here might, you know, is statistically not as good, but maybe it, maybe it's a better fit. Maybe it works better. I don't know. But I just think that that you know that kind of stuff you don't you can't get it's just you can't get worked up as much about the wins or the losses. 
and to, and to that point as well, um, I would not be, I would not mind not being ranked number one going into uh, Bloomington. Uh, I would not mind that because if we lose that game, oh my lord, <laughs> that, there's going to be so many T-shirts made for that. I think if uh, we have a single digit next to our name when we go to Bloomington, they're going to be they're going to be amped up. I, yeah. And I think that's the way it is for any team we'll play the rest of the season. Yeah, Here's a good one for you. Uh, will, if Purdue's ranked number one, will the Indiana fans storm the court? Oh, yeah. Beating Purdue. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. like they did last well, year. They'd yeah. storm the court for a Klondike bar. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. going to be the next uh, uh, quote. Oh, no, thing sure. Yeah. <laughs> And it was so strange that they did that last season because they just don't think about Purdue, you know, which yeah. is odd. They don't they don't care about Purdue at all. That's yeah. all they say. It's strange. They have to storm the court when they or regular season games. They don't care about regular season games, even though they literally ran halftime contests of reenacting the Watford shot against Kentucky. They don't care about regular season games, but they literally had that as a promotion. But they don't care about regular season games. Those okay. Dusty banners, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, cool. Well, uh, I think we'll go ahead and wrap it up for tonight. Uh, uh, as as always, uh, thank you all for tuning in uh, to the Boiler Express podcast. You can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Twitter. Um, you know, probably some other platforms out there as well that I'm not re recalling at this moment in time. Um, we do have a discord that, uh, we use from time to time, uh, not super active on, but, uh, we do use that from time to time. So if you want to check us out on discord, if you have discord as well, uh, more than welcome to do that. Um, and Kyle, thank you so much for, for joining us tonight. What a, what a fun time. Uh, it was good to get to know you a little bit more and just hear more about you and your experiences around Purdue and the, and the program and just you as a person, um, I'm going to make sure to uh, run the other direction if I ever see you going into an equipment room looking for hats. Um, <clears throat> but uh, no, just great time, great conversation, good time to talk about Purdue basketball. And uh, yeah, we got a game Thursday against Michigan. Hopefully it's a good one. And yep. um, yeah, we'll see how it goes. So thank you guys for tuning in. Boiler up, hammer down, and let's go. Boiler up.